Thanks for joining us on Beyond the Sermon, the podcast of First Methodist Church in Collingswood, New Jersey. Our goal is not only to share our sermons, but to go beyond the sermon in conversation about what we're learning and what God is doing in our lives and in our community. This sermon comes from our 2023 Lent sermon series, Seven Deadly Sins, The Power of God to Move Us from Death to New Life. You can find more information about our church at fumccollingswood.org. Thanks for listening. All right, well, I'm sure that I am not the only one who's ever been in this situation. Maybe, maybe you can relate, maybe not. Maybe you're all better people than I am. But have you ever been driving down the road, maybe a little faster than you should be, a little faster than the posted speed limit, and you come up behind someone who's going significantly slower than you are? Anyone ever been in that situation? Yeah. All right. You don't have to raise your hands and incriminate yourselves. You can plead the fifth on that one. Um, but, but what bubbles up inside of us when, when we find ourselves in that kind of a situation, when, when we're coming up behind someone, we're like, don't they know I've got somewhere to be? Don't they know it's, it's dangerous to drive that slow? Don't they know whatever it is that's running through your head and then you get up behind them and realize they are, in fact, going the speed limit. Um, or, or maybe you've been sitting uh, there in bumper-to-bumper traffic on the freeway. I don't know that there's anything more frustrating than that. You know, you're supposed to be able on the freeway just to go. Uh, but when you're sitting there in bumper-to-bumper traffic, it can be so frustrating. I remember one time we were sitting on uh, I-95 coming up through Delaware, right where you split off to take 295 to come over the Delaware Memorial Bridge. And we were just sitting there, bumper-to-bumper, not moving at all. And we've got kids in the back and and I'm just getting frustrated more and more frustrated. And then this SUV comes flying up the breakdown lane just to our right. And I'd seen him coming in the mirror, but then they come and, you know, the car shakes a little bit. And, uh, you know, I'm frustrated that somebody's doing that. And then I look over and they've got a big New York Giants sticker on the back window. I'm like, really? <laughs> and the frustration just built and built. And, you know, a minute or two later, a, a state trooper comes flying up, same way. I'm like, oh, they must be going to some, maybe there's an accident up there that would, uh, you know, it's causing all this traffic, you know, it, wouldn't it be nice if they pulled over that other car, that Giants fan jerk that was driving by? Um, but, you know, didn't expect that to happen in a million years. Lo and behold, we get up another half a mile or so, and, and there's that state trooper right behind that Giants fan SUV, and uh, he's writing him a ticket. And uh, I felt so vindicated in that moment. Since we were sitting there in, in bumper-to-bumper traffic, I think I even looked back and said, boys, this is why you don't become a Giants fan. Maybe it was a little more vindictive than vindicated, but um, you, you get the point, right? I'm sure I'm the only one who, who's had that kind of experience, but that anger just bubbles up inside of us sometimes. We, we've got a name for it, right? We call it road rage. But driving isn't the only context in which we experience anger. 
And but regardless of that context, being angry isn't in and of itself automatically sinful, right? There are legitimate and appropriate times when we should be angry, right? When we see someone being abused or mistreated, when we witness injustice or a failure of justice, when we see that there are wrongs in the world that need to be righted, right? When we hear, like Jeremy was sharing, that 6,400 kids a day under the age of five are dying because they just don't have enough food, right? That should stir some anger in us. We watched last week a video about Don and Esther Parsons. We watched it in the first service this morning. And to see all those people displaced because of war. That kind of stuff should make us angry. There's an injustice being done. There's a wrong that needs to be righted. Being angry can, in fact, be holy because even God gets angry. Throughout the Bible, we hear stories where God gets angry because his people are being oppressed, because the leaders who were appointed to lead the people were abusing their position or their power for their own gain or to lead people down a wrong path. Jesus got angry, right? When he walked into the temple that one day and he sees the money changers there trying to take advantage of of these poor people who have come to offer their sacrifices to God and they're exchanging the money and selling the animals at rates that are just abusive. They were taking advantage of these people who were just trying to live in a right relationship with God and it made Jesus angry. And then as you look through the Bible, through the Old Testament, through some of Paul's letters, we hear this phrase, the wrath of God, right? A little bit terrifying. Think about the all-powerful God being angry at us. But it's often used to describe God's feeling not just toward individual people, but to injustice, to oppression, to sin and unrighteousness. It's interesting to me, however, that all through the Old Testament, as much as it talks about God's anger or his wrath, what scripture says about God's anger, even more than describing how powerful it is or the causes of it, more than any of that, the Old Testament says that God is slow to anger, slow to anger. If you guys brought your Hebrew Bibles this morning, you could read all through. And instead of seeing that phrase that says God is slow to anger, you'd actually read that God has a long nose. Do you know that? God has a long nose. Because in the Hebrew mind, when you got angry, your face got red. We, we talk about that too, right? Being red-faced with anger, turning purple with rage. Well, the Hebrews thought about people's faces getting angry too or getting red when they were angry. And so the, the, the term they used was their nose would turn red. 
And so the phrase that says that God is slow to anger is that he's got a long nose. It takes a long time for the red to get all the way to the tip of God's nose. He's slow to anger. That's often paired with the phrase, an abounding in steadfast love. He gets angry because he loves so much. And in the passage that we read from Matthew this morning, from Matthew chapter five, here in the Sermon on the Mount, we hear Jesus addressing anger, right? And it shouldn't be any surprise to us by this point in the Sermon on the Mount or at this point in our sermon series that Jesus makes anger a matter of the heart rather than a matter of behavior. And so he says, you know, Moses told us not to murder people. That's a good lesson today. Don't murder anyone. But Jesus says, if we're holding anger in our hearts towards someone, we've already committed murder in our hearts. If we treat people, he says, who were made in the image of God with contempt, calling them raka or fool, we're in danger of judgment, judgment and punishment that we deserve. You see, for Jesus, it was even more important for people to be reconciled to one another, to be at peace with one another with one another than it was for them to offer sacrifices at the proper times in order to be right with God. You see, we need to be right with other people. Even, he says, if we're the ones, not who has wronged somebody else, but we're the one who's been wronged. We need to go and settle things with them. We need to go and be reconciled with them. It sounds in this passage like Jesus is telling us that it's wrong to ever be angry, right? But this is the same Jesus that in other places in the gospels gets angry at the Pharisees who were more concerned about keeping the Sabbath laws that they put in place than they were about a man who had a shriveled hand being healed and made whole. And this isn't just Jesus. Paul told the church in Ephesus and us through them in Ephesians 4, verses 26 and 27. He says, in your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you're still angry. Do not give the devil a foothold. So friends, it's possible to be angry and not sin. But then in the very next paragraph, the very following verses, Paul also tells them that they need to put away, this is verse 31, get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger. Get rid of bitterness, rage, and anger. So how do we reconcile these two seemingly contradictory positions? Right? How can wrath be listed among the seven deadly sins and used to speak about God? What do we do with that? I think it's helpful at this point to remember 
that each of these seven deadly sins that we've been talking about, and we've talked about envy and gluttony and sloth and a couple other ones in there, uh, these seven deadly sins, they come from a desire for something good. But that desire has been twisted. It's been disordered or it's been pursued in an unhealthy way. And so in contrast to the sin like sloth, Remember we said sloth was indifference. It was the opposite of love. Well, anger isn't the opposite of love. Anger is the result of love. It's a result of our passion. Rebecca DeYoung says in her book, Glittering Vices, that the fiercer the love and the greater the good at stake, the more intense our capacity for anger. Great love is the root of great anger. Great love is the root of great anger. We get angry when something we love is wronged. Something we love is treated poorly. And it's because of God's great love for people, for his creation, for goodness and justice, that he gets angry over those things. The problem of being angry comes when the thing we love is ourselves. When we fight for our own selfish causes rather than for justice. You see, what we are angry about is where we, are off, where we often go wrong. We've been offended. We've been disrespected. We've been wronged in some way. But how we are angry matters too. And we slip from appropriate anger into wrath when we become out of control or enraged or furious. When the shift takes place that moves us from anger to wrath, we move from anger over injustice or oppression, good things, which lead us to fight for justice or to right a wrong. And we shift to a desire to hurt someone, to make someone else pay, to get even or get revenge. It's pretty serious stuff. But I don't think we're just doomed to live in this wrathful kind of anger as long as we live in this world. I think God wants to do something in us to transform even our anger to look like his anger. Anger that's not kindled by selfishness and my offenses, but anger that's kindled by injustice. Anger that's fueled by love and a desire to bless someone else. We don't have to wait for God to do this work for us. We don't have to just sit back and wait for God to decide now's the right time to deal with our anger. We can cooperate. We can work with God in that work that he's doing. And Paul uses the words here and in other places in his letters. He says, get rid of these things. Put off the old self. Put to death the way you used to live, which includes this sinful kind of wrath and anger. I think in order to do that, it starts by paying attention to what makes 
us angry? What makes us angry? Am I getting angry about the things that God gets angry about? About injustice and oppression, false teaching, my own sin? Or am I getting angry because myself has been offended? I haven't gotten my preferences. I haven't gotten my way. My rights have been abused. It's an important question to ask. I think there are three warning lights that we need to watch for on the dashboard of our hearts. Right, you know, in the car, you've got your dashboard sitting there in front of you, and when your tire pressure gets too low, a light comes on, and when you know your check engine light comes on, you know there's a problem you need to address. And sometimes it's just maintenance is required, and you know that there's something you need to do in order to keep your car running. Well, well, there are there are warning lights that come up in our hearts as well, especially when it comes to anger. There's three of them this morning. First warning light we need to watch for is when we are angered too easily. If something small happens and you get set off, waitress brings out your meal or maybe the meal at the table next to you. You've seen this happen. The waitress brings out the meal and there's just one little thing that's not quite right. And the person at the table next to you just flies off the handle, right? It's not... Appropriate. There's no reason that they should be so angry so quickly over something as small as their meal. Does every little thing set me off on anger? Do I respond to every question or challenge or disruption with anger? If so, it's a warning light flashing on the dashboard. We're angered too easily. The second one, though, is when we're angered excessively, right? Which kind of goes along with that waitress analogy. Is my response to the situation appropriate? Or as soon as I start to get angry, it just erupts into an explosion of anger. Doors are slammed. Voices are raised. We fly off the handle in a way that doesn't reflect the situation involved. So we can be angered too easily. We can be angered too excessively. We can also be angered for too long. We hold on to that anger. We hold on to the wrongs that have been done against us. Am I able to forgive those past offenses? Or do I hold on to them? Do I hold them tight? Do I allow them to stack on top of each other, building and building and building so that I stew on these things and let it grow into bitterness and resentment? When we're angered too easily or we're angered too excessively or angered for too long, it often points to a deeper issue that needs to be addressed in our hearts. That's why I call them warning lights, right? You can drive with your tires a little deflated. You can drive if your oil pressure starts to get a little low. But if you don't address it soon, if you don't deal with the real problem, the real problem is not the, the warning light on the dashboard, right? You could just knock out the, the, the light bulb behind the warning light and it goes away. But it doesn't deal with the real 
issue. There are real issues we need to deal with underneath these warning lights. And I think there are two things in particular that we need to investigate when we find one or maybe multiple of these warning lights flashing on the dashboards of our hearts. Two questions we need to ask ourselves so we can work together with what God is trying to do in our hearts. First one, am I angry with God? Am I angry with God? Do I blame God for something that's happened or how I've been treated or a situation I've been involved in when things don't go the way that we expected them to go or we hoped that they would turn out? It can be easy to hold that against God, to make an agreement in our heart that God could have done something, but he chose not to. And we can blame God for those things, even when there are other people involved who made their own choices. We need to ask ourselves, am I really angry with God? Because that'll have big impacts on the rest of our lives. Remember when we said before that the, when, um, what people think of when they think of God is the most important thing about them. And if what we think of when we think of God is that God is to blame, that God is someone who could have done something about a situation and chose not to, that's going to impact the way we relate to God. It's going to impact the way we relate to one another. Second question we need to ask, is there something going on underneath this anger? Is there another emotion that I'm experiencing that I don't want to deal with? Because anger is far more comfortable for us to feel and experience than is disappointment or hurt or grief or betrayal or sadness. It's also much more comfortable for those around us, right? We're okay with people being angry. Have you watched the news recently? Have you scrolled through Facebook? Everybody's angry. It's okay to be angry. It's culturally acceptable to be angry. But we'll never experience the healing that Jesus offers us if we won't deal with what is really going on inside of us. We'd rather blow up at someone than admit that they disappointed us. We'd rather threaten revenge than deal with how we've been hurt. But if we can't or won't get honest with ourselves about who we're truly angry with or what we're really feeling, we'll continue to live behind a wall of anger, maybe even allowing it to become a fortress that we build around our hearts. After the accident that I was involved in during our first term in Uganda, after the initial shock wore off, a little ways into that process, I went through a season where I was angry. And it wasn't just one of the warning lights going off. It was probably all three of those warning lights going off. I'd get angry at the smallest things. And that anger would be far bigger than it should have been. And I stayed angry. Eventually, I realized that I was responding to too many situations, or how I was responding to too many situations. The strain 
It was putting on my relationships and my relationships that mattered the most to me. But I didn't know what to do with that anger, that wrath that I was feeling in my heart. So I shoved it all down as deep as I could, tried to put a cap on top of it and seal it in there. Then instead of an eruption at every little thing, I just didn't feel much of anything at all. Because we can't choose which emotions we feel, right? We either feel all of them or we're feeling none of them. It seemed to me better to feel nothing than to feel all that anger. So the explosions more or less stopped when they did happen. They were bigger, led to other bad choices. And it wasn't until much later that I learned that my anger wasn't about what was happening in any given moment. It was really anger towards God for allowing that accident to happen, for keeping us from getting into Congo in the way I thought we should on my timeline. And it wasn't even all anger in the first place. Underneath that anger, there was grief. There was disappointment and there was shame that had to be dealt with. So many other emotions that had to be sorted out and dealt with so that they could be acknowledged and given to God so that he could bring healing in those places. My anger wasn't really about any given situation. It was about much deeper things. The one practice that we need to embrace and incorporate into our lives if we want to deal with the unhealthy and unholy anger in our lives is forgiveness. We have to learn to forgive others for the times they've hurt us, for the times they've disappointed us. We have to learn to let go of the things that we hold against someone, whether they're sorry for it or not. This doesn't mean that we're okay with their choices or allow them to continue to hurt us or that there are no consequences or justice for what they've done. It doesn't mean that we don't feel anything anymore or that we forget what has happened or that somehow everything's okay between us. It just means that we're choosing not to hold someone's actions against them. We're choosing to have a right heart attitude them, choosing to bless and not choosing to curse. We have to learn to forgive other people. But there are other times we have to learn to forgive ourselves, right? Sometimes we're the ones who have wronged ourselves for the times we haven't lived up to our own expectations, the times we've hurt ourselves by the choices that we've made. Friends, if God can forgive us for all the times we've sinned against him, and he can and he will, maybe we should be able to learn to forgive ourselves as well. We have to forgive others. We have to learn to forgive ourselves. But I think sometimes we even have to learn to forgive God, which sounds kind of weird since God hasn't done anything wrong 
right? But our ideas about God and our expectations of how God works or should work or didn't work, the box we've put him in. What we think about God is the most important thing about us. What we think about when we think about God is the most important thing about us. And there are times where even though God hasn't done anything wrong, we have to forgive him for our expectations. We have to really forgive ourselves for our wrong expectations. We have to give God the freedom to work the way God is going to work. Forgiveness is both a choice and a process. It's something we have to choose and it's something we have to keep choosing. But it's the only way that we can break free from the wrath that can so easily consume our lives. The only way that we can live at peace with one another and with God. So this morning, as we close, we're gonna, I'm going to pray in a minute and then we're going to sing. The altar, as always, is open. And the place where you're seated in your pew is a place where you can meet God as well. But I want to invite you to have a conversation with God. I want to invite you to have a conversation with God about the anger that may be in your heart and what's really going on underneath that anger that you need to deal with and that you need to let him deal with. I wanna invite you to have a conversation with God about the unforgiveness in your heart, the things you're still holding against other people, the things you can't seem to forgive yourself for, for the ways your expectations of God haven't met the way he really works. I wanna invite you to talk to God this morning about anything that he's brought up and is stirring in your heart. The altar's open. Your pew's a great place to have that conversation. But I invite you to talk with God this morning and let him heal the anger in your hearts today.